This is John Williams reaching out to our old friend Thomas Jefferson. President Jefferson, are you there? Yes, sir. Good to talk with you, my friend. Wow, you sound in good voice. Uh, You're well, I trust. Well, it's spring, and in the spring we plant the crops at Monticello and the gardens, and everything has a new sense of life. Well, I appreciate your enthusiasm. My calendar says first week of February, so if it's a little warmer where you are, I'm, I'm happy for you. Monticello is maybe the greatest climate in the world. Uh, I think all rational beings would live on the Blue Ridge if they had their choice. The big Super Bowl game is this weekend, and Americans are all going to unite more on this day probably than on any other day of the year now. We celebrate Christmas and Thanksgiving and the 4th of July. Think of all of the things that Americans do together. I don't think there's a day where we all do the same thing more in unison than on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, You want to come to my Super Bowl party? I don't know. I would have to bring a book. You know, in my time, uh, we would have regarded this, that something like a, a huge number of Americans watching the same gladiatorial event we would have immediately gone back to our Roman history and we would have concluded, I think, John Adams certainly and I, that this is a sign of the death of America, that when you you start to move towards bread and circuses and the Colosseum, mass entertainments for the people that involve nothing to do with the the quality of our republic or the nature of our government or the or agriculture or or the building trades or anything that's that's useful to a society that that's the sign that you have in fact become Rome about the time that Rome began its long descent into the dark ages and insanity and and superstition you're the guy nobody wants to stand next to at the party you know that i mean we're all standing there with a budweiser and a cocktail weenie and and then you start on that. Man, Debbie Downer all over. I know. and Look, I, I understand that in your time, in your greatly debased uh, form of America, that I would be regarded as, as a, a Puritan and maybe a prig for my point of view. But I can assure you that if you really want to know what the Founding Fathers thought, that we believe that we were the most interesting experiment in human happiness that the world had ever seen, and we all were have studied our classics, John. We all knew our Plutarch and our Tacitus and our, our Livy. And, and we, in reading these things all of our lives, more than you can possibly imagine, we had become certain that, that the United States would be a great republic until it began to turn towards decadence and bread and circuses and a huge dole, a welfare state, uh, where you have large urban mobs that don't really do any work and so on. And we were we were obsessed with this. this. This is one of the things, one of the four or five things we thought about most is how can we prevent the United States going down the terrible, dreary path of ancient Rome. So that doesn't make for much of a party. Um, but you, there you are. You are sitting there with a, an old, musty book. You've got your breeches on, your hair's pulled back, and... Somebody goes, hey, who's that guy? And they go, don't talk to him. Don't talk to him. He'll he'll kill (laughs) you, man. Don't get him started. I was thinking that this Super Bowl is really emblematic of all that we are. Not only do we all come together, we watch our favorite athletes play our favorite game. Lady Gaga will sing the national anthem. Coldplay is going to 
do the halftime show. We've been promoting it on the CBS television network. I mean, really, everything we do, pop culturally, athletically, somehow it's a news event in many ways. It all comes together on Super Bowl Sunday. Well, and I wish you well with it. There's nothing wrong with humans having a little relaxation and recreation. But here's my question, and you, perhaps you can answer it as someone who's deep into the the culture of your times. I mean, what I learn is that this, this game that you play um, produces a very large number of, of uh, crippled men who have permanent structural damage to their knees and backs, and then they have concussions and their brain damage that's measurable. And even the group that puts on these gladiatorial events says that about 30% of all of the players wind up with some sort of permanent mental damage from this thing. And so looking at it as, as a pure rationalist from the outside, I wonder that 120 million Americans, about a third of you, would get together to to watch in glee, to to cheer, to high-five, to dip your chips in dips when you're watching something that is a, a sport that maims about 30% of its players. We're only recently talking about that, and that's starting to bother me, and I think it's starting to bother a lot of people. But the players still line up for it. They get fabulously wealthy. Everybody connected to the game is rich or gets richer. You know, certainly the players and the entertainers and the coaches and the owners. I mean, this is money to be made there, and the game's played at such a high level. It's starting to bother us that these guys are now mentally damaged, to say nothing of the physical things they go through. Uh, but, but, but we... We're able to put that in a lockbox and just focus on the fun game. I mean, really, people decry it all year long, but for 16 weeks a year during the regular season, they don't think about that. They just root their team on. It's very I exciting. understand, uh, but you know, this goes back to the the Coliseum. So in the Coliseum, you have 70 or 80,000 people, and there are people hawking peanuts, and there are prostitutes, and the, it's it, very similar. The analogies hold pretty well. And you would have these men, they were often slaves that were um, purchased or that they were uh, conquered in wars, and they go out and fight, and uh, the champion uh, perhaps um, has has succeeded in 20 or 30 of these contests, and then he retires with great public acclaim and limps uh, through the rest of his life. He can barely walk. Part of one hand has been cut off, and he's a national hero in the Roman Empire. And so when when you have 15 or 20 or 30 people in a room this Sunday watching this and, and some tremendous hit occurs between the two teams and people are cheering and, and, and high-fiving and so on, drinking, uh, do they stop for a minute to think that person will probably spend most of the second half of his life barely able to function uh, because his brain will never really uh, be intact again after this short career do, do they think that or is, are they are you able to suspend that they don't think about that they they're just having a good time it's three hours of fun for us on sunday evening and i'll let you judge that but then what what would you do i mean what was what was the spectator sport of 1800 well spectator sport would probably be horse racing so you know our the horse was an, an extremely important creature in our world 
Um, we traveled on horses. Horses pulled our carriages. Horses pulled the plows in our fields. Horses were the beasts of burden that carried loads from one place to another. And so the horse was as important in my world as the automobile, say, is in your world. And horses, of course, are majestic and beautiful, and it is great uh, fun to watch them race. And even though I was against gambling, I, I in a sense, made an exception for horse racing because I think that that when you go to the horse races, as we all did, I mean, Congress would would literally adjourn to go to the horse races in Washington D.C. and in Williamsburg. The same would happen with the with the Colonial Assembly. This does have the one advantage of breeding up horses. You know, in other words, horses don't end their their race by being permanently impaired. It actually um, is an extraordinarily positive form of recreation because it breeds up the horses everyone wants to produce the fastest or the or the strongest horse or the horse with the most stamina and so people would gather for these so that would probably be the closest analogy we had in our time there, out on the frontier in Kentucky there would be um, cockfights or dog fights or um, sometimes wrestling matches some of the some of the human wrestlings and boxings would end in eye gouging and maiming there was a certain amount of chaos out on the frontier but you would not see that sort of thing in williamsburg or philadelphia or boston there you are judging us you're gouging your eyes out on the frontier you're running horses to death in williamsburg it's (laughs) gambling who said we were running horses to death i never saw an eye gouging in my life sir i was more likely to go to the theater you know chess is a nice sport uh, I don't suppose it gets quite the same number of millions of people to watch, but mm-hmm. uh, we played cards. Of course, we, we had conversation, the art of conversation. Witty repartee uh, was, in a certain sense, a spectator sport in my time. Well, I do Today, have the image of – I, I do have the image of – and it sounds dreadful to me, but a bunch of people standing around with cups in their hands, and somebody says something – and then the other guy makes a pun out of it and turns it on the other guy, and everybody goes, oh. Touche, touche. Ex- exactly. Exactly. And- this was, I mean, in, in the salons in Paris, uh, you saw this all the time. And when the when the Assembly of Notables finally met after hundreds of years, all they did was pun each other. I said, the French will never get serious. They would prefer to pun and be witty and have genteel repartee than to solve the fundamental problems of France. But... A good conversation between two witty people is, I don't suppose you get 120 million people to watch that, but it is worth seeing in a small group sometime. Last thing then, so when I would come to your house, say, I know that you were famous for your meals and your wine. Um, You did play the violin. You had a a parakeet or a, a bird too, right? Uh, yes, I had a I had a, a wonderful uh, bird that that flew around, and I actually allowed it to sort of move freely through Monticello or the White House. It was it was a, a a bird named Dick, and it used to eat crumbs off of my lips, and it would uh, perch on my shoulder, and it was a great conversation piece. Uh, but that I don't think would be considered sport. That's just uh, the eccentricity of a. Of a man who who lives in a in a backward part of Virginia, but well, you got that right. Well, um, but then would you play the violin for us? So we're coming to your house, and we know that the Jeffersons don't watch television, or they're not into the Super Bowl. So what are you going to do to entertain us? Well, my daughter Martha might play the piano forte, 
and I if if I could maybe be persuaded to uh, accompany on the fiddle and that that might be I mean you could bring the dip and some we could order pizza and I think that could be a, a splendid afternoon don't you Okay, well, that's uh, that's an afternoon at the Jeffersons. Or we could go to the Hamiltons, where, by the way, they've got a fantasy league. They're betting on the games. They've got music. They've got a band. They're tailgating. I think the Hamiltons are tearing it up over across the way. Yeah, more than they would be at my house, of course. But if you take your wife to Hamilton's party, you may never see her again. 